When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From MCIE. Reclaiming her power and healing her community one Chingona move at a time. My name is Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, a show where with every conversation, we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at MCIE.org. For many years, chingona was a derogatory term used to describe Latina women who are seen as too aggressive, difficult, or out of control. It's a word that is meant to keep young Latinas in their place, while the male version, chingon, is used as a compliment. On this episode of Think Inclusive, I speak with Mexican-American activist, scholar, and podcast host Alma Zaragoza Petty who is helping women everywhere claim their inner chingona, or badass. In her book, Chingona, Owning Your Inner Badass for Healing and Justice, Zaragoza Petty shares about the chingona spirit she began to claim within herself and leads us toward the courage required to speak up and speak out against oppressive systems. Here's what I cover with Alma Zaragoza Petty in this episode. How the term chingona has been reclaimed to honor the Latina experience, uncovering the root causes of intergenerational trauma and pursuing healing, and the power of mentors and educators in inspiring underperforming students to pursue college. Before we get to today's interview, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Together Letters. Are you losing touch with people in your life, but you don't want to be on social media all the time. Together Letters is a tool that can help. It's a group email newsletter that asks its members for updates and combines them into a single newsletter for everyone. All you need is email. We are using Together Letters 
So think-inclusive patrons can keep in touch with each other. Groups of 10 or less are free, and you can sign up at togetherletters.com. Thank you so much for listening. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Alma Zaragoza Petty. Let's talk about Chingona. Yeah. Who is your target audience with the book? As I was envisioning and when I started writing this book, I really wanted to talk to like younger me. I think a lot of book writers sometimes do that, right? Because of just very big or pivotal moments that they've had and and that they learned from. And one of the things that really motivated me was that I have always been a big consumer of like personal development, self-care, self-help, because I've, that's just kind of how I've learned. I come from a family with a lot of trauma and intergenerational issues, and I didn't really have a spiritual mentor or someone who could mentor me in that. And so I think because of that, I ended up going into psychology as an undergrad because I wanted to just learn more about the human brain and behavior and why we do the stuff we do. And I also, as I read some a lot of these books and theories and just different kinds of oncologies and how we see the world and view the world, I didn't find a lot of stuff that resonated for me. Like I always felt I was reading like a white woman's perspective or a white man's perspective or a brown man's perspective. And those are needed and they're great. And they've helped me so much to grow. But I also just wanted something that resonated with the Latina experience, someone who like self-identifies as that. And yeah, for the most part, that's who my target audience is. But I would say that if you know women or brown women around you too, like this is a great book to read or to gift to them because it's really centering like my experience as a brown woman going through a lot of personal healing. So let's unpack that title. Sure. What is the story behind the term chingona? So it's evolved when it first was used. It was used for mestizo children to basically, call, it's the equivalent of bastard. That was the term and what it meant, chingona, chingon. It's like these little fatherless children that the Spaniards didn't want to honor and claim because they were born out of rape. They were It was from raping women, the indigenous women in the Americas. And so that's where the term chingona comes from and chingon. It, it, that's what it means historically. Over the years, uh, it's come to mean, especially for men, that you're just a badass dude, like you're an amazing dude or just super someone to look up to as a man. And growing up, this is what, I, what really, you know, what I heard a lot was my cousins being called chingon in a positive way. But then when I was being unruly or loud or just wanting to have my own thing to say, I was that used that term, the same term, chingona, was used more to like, you know, quiet me to kind of say like, hey, you're you're kind of being a lot right now. Sit back down, you know, uh, don't, you know, bring all of this energy with you. And so, growing up, I was called a chingona because that's just who I am. Like, I just had my own opinions and thoughts, and I was pretty vocal about it. But then over the years, I learned to quiet that down because I started to feel that that was not a good quality to have. And sadly, this is, you know, one of those words where maybe it's not the specific term that maybe you heard growing up that was like used in this way. But I think a lot of brown women relate to this story and white women in the way that sometimes we are silenced or we are asked to tone us, ourselves down 
because there's this preconceived idea of what like womanhood needs to look like or what girls should act like. And so that's the that's my own personal interaction with that term growing up. And then over the years, there has been a reclaiming of the term, you know, similar to like other movements, like with feminists, for example, where, you know, reclaiming certain bad words. I don't want to say them just in case you we started calling ourselves chingonas, you know, like you're badass for just trying to attain your goals. And even though you're fumbling through them, you're like going for it. That's amazing. That's a chingona move right there, you know, and not letting things stop you and just continuing to just want to better yourself, whether that's educationally, professionally, spiritually, psychologically. It's all about just being a badass as a woman and how can we like use this word and reclaim it to honor that it's okay if it looks a little different for some of us. And this is a term that across the Latino community, I think it's being reclaimed to a more positive light, but there's definitely like socioeconomic kinds of uh, differences where I would say the higher economic status, people would kind of see this as a very vulgar term. And so they might not want to, they don't use it or have heard of it. And then there's people that, um, you know, may have grown up in more lower socioeconomic statuses. And that's just a term that was thrown around a lot. And so it just, you know, more than, um, you know, whether different Latinos know about this or not has, I think, less to do than whether they're like higher income or lower income or kind of where they are in that social class kind of status. At least that's what I've, uh, what I've seen. A lot of people that get, I guess, a little um, shocked by the word are people that are maybe a little more of like higher class or higher income paths. I guess I'm not, I'm not in that, <laughs> not in that, that sphere. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for some of us, it just means badass, right? Like it just means like, you're amazing. You're dope. Uh, you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. So in the book, it seems like you are, you relate the reclaiming of the word to healing. Is that right? Or is that my misreading that? No, I think in some ways I do. Like I, I reclaim it as a way to, to really like honor a more bumpy ride to, to healing. It's definitely a term that I wanted us as a community of women, brown women, Latina women, to really start to own and to really understand the historical roots of that term and why it's such an amazing word to reclaim. Because for a long time, it was about the mestiza that was, that was conquered or that was attempted to be conquered and to be oppressed. But it can also be seen as chingona, as like the indígena and afrodescendiente survival. This is why I think it's important to reclaim that term and to also use it as a way to really think about our healing, like intergenerational healing. Can you give an example, in, either from the book or, or maybe not from the book, whatever you want, of like your healing? Like when you talk about intergenerational trauma and healing from that, what would be an example for our audience to understand? Yeah, I think for me, it really started you know, my own journey into healing intergenerational trauma started with my body kind of starting to give up. So there were a lot of just body cues, embodied cues that I was not okay. Panic attacks, having a lot of sleepless nights, having a lot of sleep paralysis. That's when you feel yourself hovering over yourself, like you're watching yourself, but you can't snap out of it. And Surprisingly, this is, has been linked a lot to people who suffer because of their veterans from PTSD. And uh, we've learned over the years 
that inter- that trauma in general, complex trauma and different kinds of trauma that we go through affects people this across uh, the same way. So it's not just veterans, it's people that have gone through childhood trauma that also have very similar experiences. And so for me, my experience began that way. And so a lot of healing had to come just kind of owning that, like being able to even address it. Like one of the chapters that I start off with, chapter two, is about acknowledging just where you've been and your past, acknowledging what I call the soul loss. So some of that, the susto that you had, a cultural susto from just not only from oppression, but also from colonialism and and what it just did to the bodies of our ancestors and how that just has been imprinted to our in our DNA and how even just acknowledging just that historical trauma and that social trauma is one of the ways that we can start to heal, right? Because there's a lot of inferiority complexes, complexes or just like different ways that we see ourselves as less than sometimes because of the ways that just colonialism and patriarchy kind of set the tone in our societies. And so I talk about sort of those steps. So acknowledging that, then going back to where your memories lead. So one of the things that I'm really, you know, what I think this kind of makes it just my own personal journey and the way that I see the world is letting visions, memories, and dreams lead the way in teaching me about myself. Because often we don't see that as knowledge and like real knowledge. And one of the things that I've learned from my ancestors, including my abuelitas and tias, is that all of that is teaching us stuff about ourselves. And even though in our Western society, we don't really see that as knowledge, it is. It's knowledge. It's knowledge about our bodies. It's knowledge about how we're processing things and how we might need to show up differently in certain places because of it. In chapter three, kind of go into like talking about like, what would it mean to kind of let our memories lead? Like if we would, rather than just kind of keep them at bay or try to suppress them, what if we let them in? What if we explore that pain and figure out what it's there to teach us instead of running away from it? And then, you know, kind of go on in other chapters about just retelling your story. So a lot of times, I think in our communities, we often are told a story. And I talk about this through the example of the hometown that I grew up in, Huntington Park here in Los Angeles, being dubbed one of the most miserable cities in California by a business article. And some of the factors that they were using were the state of people as it is currently, but there was no admission of, well, what happened? How did we get here? Like, what, what was going on in the past that like we're all uninsured, unable to buy homes, to do all the things that would equal to having a successful kind of community. And none of that was addressed. And so I kind of did a revisiting of like, what did it, Huntington Park actually get there? What were some of the, like their redlining practices, the racist practices against our communities that kind of even led to that? And so to me, all of that is intergenerational healing, because when we ignore the roots of why we are, how we are, where we are, it's very hard to move on and to find true psychic level kind of healing and not to not see ourselves as unworthy or that's just how we are. We just don't do well with finances. No, that's not because we just don't do well. Some of us might not. There's a lot of historical reasoning why this happened. And so I kind of invite folks to go back to that and also to rethink. I think often to a lot of us who are born natural leaders or just even have those kinds of skills growing up, We don't necessarily see them as that because of our communities not really having a lot of models or having representation. 
And so sometimes it looks a little different. And sometimes it does look just like a rebelde, like a rebelde, we, you know, the, the idea of being a rebel in the, in the hood or like being in gangs or doing things. Yeah, on one end, it's like very toxic and not a good path to go down on because there's a lot of um, things that can happen from that, right? Like incarceration and like just mental health stuff. And so we, there's definitely that. But then there's also, these are opportunities, the only opportunities sometimes that youth have for leadership. Or that the youth have for just be feel to feel seen, to feel known by someone or to feel important. And so I use my examples of just kind of having the head of my set, because I was I had a really brief chola um gangster kind of stint growing <laughs> up. <laughs> if the hoops and and makeup didn't give it away. <laughs> you know, I had a really brief stint with being in, in a gang, but a lot of that I talk about why that was like some of the factors happening in my own life some of the just not having supervision because my parents had to work a lot and just being out there in the streets and that's just the reality for a lot of us and it doesn't mean that there isn't hope for us right like there's also redemption in a lot of those stories and one of the things that i was really motivated in in my own journey talking um my own healing journey was to normalize that to say hey there's a lot of us in the 80s and 90s that were in gangs and that sadly ended up in jail or sadly ended up dead and or maybe in other like precarious kinds of situations. But that doesn't mean that we also don't deserve healing and that we also don't deserve to kind of have a fulfilling life as adults. And how does that look like for people that didn't grow up in the suburbs or whose parents owned a house and got to go to the lake every summer, which is some <laughs> of the self-care books that I read, That those are like the cultural markers that they talk about and i can't relate to that i can't <laughs> yeah yeah it seems like there needs to be yeah there there's a void there that needs to be filled yeah <laughs> i think so when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, our, like, the majority of our audience, is, they're educators, and they're all over. The country. So we have people who, who listen from California, Georgia, New York, all over Midwest. And a lot of them, well, I mean, kind of the reason why this podcast exists is because, uh, you know, our educational system is inequitable to a, a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of learners. We primarily focus on learners with disabilities. But we also understand there's intersectionality between learners with disabilities and people of color and LGBTQIA plus and every, you know, so there's a lot of marginalized groups that are not being served 
in our educational systems. So the people who listen to this podcast are very interested in equity, very interested in creating inclusive schools. Mm -hmm. So as you think about that kind of who is listening, you know, do you have any advice for people who, you know, want to push against those oppressive systems? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm actually also an educator. My background isn't in teaching, but it's in advising counseling scholars who are first generation from low income backgrounds. A lot of them also have mental health issues or things that they're working through and a lot of learning differences because of the lack of because of the lack of just access to health services growing up. That you know, a lot of them are undiagnosed until they get to college, for instance, or realize like, oh, hey, I get really anxious about deadlines and tests. And then I'm like, have you ever thought about maybe getting tested to see if you have testing anxiety? Like that's a real thing, you know? And I also work with adults. So, you know, mostly with adults. And then I also teach at USC a class to working adults who are already in their professions. And I talk about equity and I think one of the things that really impacted the way that I see the role of educators was my own lived experience, but also some research that I did as a, in my doctoral work. As you might know from just studies, a lot of times who gets attention are the people that are succeeding, right? So a lot of research of college students or people that are making it are on those really high achieving students that are doing really well and we are trying to learn from them. How did, were they, how did they become these anomalies that made it right out of the hood and were able to be successful? And what is, was the secret sauce and that sort of thing? But in my own research, I decided instead to see how, what were some of the experiences that Latina girls went through in high school that made the difference in whether they went on to college or not, given the fact that they were actually low achieving students. So students that were like, are, you know, not going to go to the UC private school, elite schools or Cal States in, the, in, in California, but that were actually thinking about going into a, straight into a job or community college. And the difference between those that ended up enrolling in college and that didn't, even though they did not do well in high school by just grade definition and test scores, were one, whether they felt and, ha you know, that they can retry something that they failed at. So having that mindset that, hey, just because I failed doesn't mean that I am inherently stupid, bad, or not meant for this. It means that I need support. I need to retry, find out why I'm not getting it. Some of them had that kind of mentality. And I would argue that a lot of times that's probably because someone told them. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's not it doesn't come out of nowhere. And, and that's exactly what we found, that actually those that have had mentors and that had had teachers, counselors, anybody, literally any adult in their life that took an interest and like truly show, showed that they cared about who they were as people is what makes a huge difference to people who are in those kind of more precarious kinds of life tra trajectories where it's not expected that they're going to go to college right out the gate. And so a lot of them recalled like, yeah, you know, I had this math teacher that told me like, I could, you know, I could try again and that it's okay if I failed once or, you know, have these ideas about themselves 
that were that someone really just kind of came alongside them and told them like, hey, like you don't have to believe those lies that maybe like you're you have about yourself or that society might be telling you about what it means to be successful or not. And actually, you can change that. There's resources that you can access to change that. And so the main thing that I usually say whenever I, I get asked this question is no, there just isn't enough hours in the day for a lot of teachers to have individual kind of give individual attention to every single kid in your class. It's just not set up that way. But those, sadly, those are the things that really impact students. It's that personal relationship beyond the content, beyond the classroom, and just seeing them as human beings. And sadly, that, that's just not how our education system's set up. So if I think the best teachers, they find ways to be that mentor in a student's life, but it also leads to a lot of burning out, turnover because it's just a lot of work. And a lot of these kids need a lot of attention because they might, or even just that support, because it's not that they don't, they can't, they won't get it from home. It's that sometimes in those homes, people are busy trying to survive. They're just trying to have a couple of jobs to get through, to make things, make ends meet. And so even if they have supportive parents that want them to go on to, to college or, 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 you know, kind of do well in school, they don't have that time to, to be told that. And to do that kind of work. And so I'm always going to, you know, I think that's always what I say. And I'm going to keep saying it until I'm proven, other, I'm proven wrong or otherwise. Because I really believe in the power of just mentorship. Yeah, I think especially in the teenage years, I think it's so important to have other adults besides your parents tell you that you're awesome. Because we expect it from our parents. <laughs> what are they going to say? Like, they were not. Sure, there are some maybe like unhealthy kind of dynamics sometimes where we might also be called names. But for the most part, we know they mean well, right? Or they're trying their best. And, and, but sometimes if, if that's the only kind of interactions you have with adults, that's kind of rough, you know, like for that person to kind of grow up that way and not have anyone else in their environment. It doesn't have to be even like a full, you know, mentorship you know, designed program that someone may need. Some, sometimes it's just about having the right person tell you kind of the right thing you need to hear at a certain moment of crisis of just yeah. being in a, in a really hard situation. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding between what kids' lives are like at home, right? Because there's this dis disconnect. We live, like sometimes we live in completely different worlds. Mm -hmm. And so even the stories that you share in your book, it's like, maybe somebody will read them and be like, oh, I cannot relate to that. Mm -hmm. But then there's also people that are like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was my life. So I think it's so important to read and to listen to and to experience other people's perspectives because how else are you going to know what's different you're right. going to assume that every everyone's like you yeah i've actually had a couple of uh, mostly white men and women reach out and say how impactful the book has been for them to learning a different experience and just learning from someone else and that they have also walked away with a lot of feeling very seen and, and noticed because I also talk a lot about just the human condition, just a lot of issues that we deal with just internally and that we grapple with. And that's just going to be universal. And that's part of what, 
you know, and that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted a book that like similar to the ones that I read from white women who I could not personally relate to, I could still gain so much wisdom from in their own experiences and what they had gone through. Right. So, yeah. 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 Something you said earlier about healing. I think it was that you can't move on or try to heal unless you deal with how you got there. I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing you. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. And I think that's super scary. Very scary. And also, I don't know, maybe this is a, maybe this is more of like a, like an American type of viewpoint. But sometimes it's, we don't want, or people, they don't want to hash up all of the old stuff because they feel like it's just you're just going to be reliving trauma as opposed to I'm just going to fix myself now and move on. But so what what would be your response if like if I were to say I don't want to I don't want to relive all of the stuff with my parents and my dad was born in Juarez and mm-hmm. he immigrated he had a ton of trauma a ton of trauma that he carried and then my mom who was born in in, um, in los angeles they got married in high school a very unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. they got divorced and when i was like an adult and now um yeah. i have a, i have a lot of i have a lot of stuff that <laughs> i don't want i guess i am i guess this is me talking then it's like i'm not sure if i want to i'm not sure if i want to hash all that stuff up yeah can I just fix myself and move on? What would you say to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, your friend, I'm just gonna I mean, I would say one, like you are not alone in feeling that way. I mean, no one goes into like self-healing and therapy and be like, yay, I can't wait to see my therapist today. We know that we're gonna talk about things that are so uncomfortable that are going to bring up a lot of stuff. And one of the things that I often tell even the the students that I mentor is that unfortunately when they're finally ready to start dealing with some of their stuff, I tell, and I I tell them this because I don't want them to get blindsided. I'm like, just so you know, it's going to get a lot worse before it starts to get better again. And it's because if you've never brought up a lot of your issues or dealt with a lot of your scars and you've just been acting out of them or just went on with your life and just tried to make it as best as you could, when you finally come back and revisit some of those really painful memories to try to heal from them. Like one of the things that I, for instance, when you do that, if someone doesn't have someone, no one's ever said, sorry, if you still feel like it's a trauma or it's something that kind of happened to you. Right. And so learning how to forgive without an apology is so hard. It's, but it's possible. We don't need people to ask us for forgiveness to forgive them. That is separate from like the pain and the hurt that was inflicted on us. That's for them to deal with, reckon with. Our only like goal is to heal from that. And so how do you heal? It's by forgiving if an apology never came, for instance. So that's an example of something that you might have to do, which is not comfortable because you might not even be ready to do that, right? You might be like, no, I don't forgive them. I don't want to forgive them. And I think a lot of times it's because we confuse forgiveness with being okay with what happened to us or, or saying like, 
oh, it's not that bad, like, or, you know, kind of dismissing that it wasn't impactful. And that's not true. You know, it, it, it could yeah. have been an, an awful, horrible thing that happened. And you can also forgive them for putting you through that. And also you might realize one of the things that I talk about too is I also realize how sacrificial and selfless my mother was despite some of the stuff that I really wish she would have shown up for. It makes me realize like if once I've forgiven her for that, it made me see her as a more full human and realize, wow, she really did that. Like she really came to a whole other country when she was a 20 year old. Would I have ever done that? Probably not. That sounds way scarier than th thinking about my emotions. And so I think that just it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's also going to be the better is going to be so much better. Like it's going to open up parts of you and of your heart that you didn't even realize you could understand in a different way or even just view in a different light. And it just gives you the capacity to just feel joy that much more and to just be able to not get stuck in grief. A lot of people that go through healing in the beginning, it's really hard and dark and there's a lot of grief that happens. And that's why it gets really hard because you need to grieve things that you didn't even know needed to be grieved over. Like, for instance, the loss of your innocence. That's something that some people don't realize, like you need to grieve that sometimes and or the loss of your childhood, the loss of your 20s sometimes, like the loss of your health if you are not an able-bodied person. Things that we didn't realize, oh yeah, I guess that it was a loss. That was something that I never grieved. And if you've never grieved one thing, when you start to grieve one thing, you start seeing all the other things that you never grieved. And that's why it gets really dark real fast. But like <laughs> I said, there, there also aren't a lot of examples and like motivations to tell you like, hey, but after that, there is going to be an light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, where you are going to experience such an abundance of joy and abundance of just awareness that you've never had and that will help you grow as a human being and really start to see a lot more of your own potential to, to be a leader, to show up like just authentically in your communities. And to me, that's worth it. So I don't know if I sold it to you. I think those are the things that... Th it's not all just pain and it's not all just grief. There's also these amazing rewards and these amazing successes that maybe we haven't seen as that, but that are nevertheless there and that we're going to experience because of all of our hard work and courage and showing up for our grief. Yeah. I do. I do want that. And I know our listeners want that. So thank you for the pep talk. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I, you know, something else that really helped me too in those moments in case anyone decides, yeah, I'm going to do it because that lady that, that wrote that book, Chingona, talked about it, is read stories of Holocaust survivors and people who have survived like really horrific kinds of things. Like Desmond Tutu, that's where I learned a lot of my, this idea of forgiveness. He talks about how do you forgive people who have treated you like you were not a person, like as a black man in South Africa. He he was jailed for many years just for standing up for what was right and lost like decades of his life being jailed. And he forgave everyone. He forgives everyone. And he moved on and just talked about just his own process. And reading stories like that have 
really helped me to put things in perspective when it's been really hard. So even if you want to just read my book as a way to put things in perspective, you know, like I talk about pretty painful stuff, that's something that you can do as well. Well, everyone should go out and get Chingona and read your book. Thank you. Thank you. What's one thing that you'd want to leave our audience thinking about? Well, I think for one, I think it's important to, for us that are really motivated about seeing justice and living in a better world, to start working on ourselves because one of, if there's nothing else that you take away from this podcast is that we are externalizing our insides out onto the world. So what that means is the world is as effed up as it is right now because that's how effed up we are in the inside. And it's not until we start working on ourselves that we're going to start to see this kind of world that I talk about in terms of just loving one another, community, showing up, embracing difference. Because if we can't even embrace our, all parts of ourselves, how can we embrace others? It's very hard. And so that's the main takeaway of my book. Um, it's also the, you know, the main takeaway that I, take, that I hope you take today, that the world is as healed as we are. And so if you want to see things change, start with yourself. That's powerful. Thank you. Dr. Alma Zaragoza-Petty, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. If you enjoyed today's episode, here is one way that you can help our podcast grow. Become a patron and get access to ad-free episodes, behind-the-scenes posts, join our Together Letters group, and get a sneak preview of MCIE's new podcast series, Inclusion Stories. Special thanks to our patrons, Melissa H., Sonia A., Pamela P., Mark C., Kathy B., Kathleen T., Jarrett T., Gabby M., Aaron P., and Paula W., for their support of Think Inclusive. For more information about inclusive education or to learn how MCIE can partner with you and your school or district, visit MCIE.org. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember, inclusion always works. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.